0: You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes, like a doll's eyes.
1: Welcome to The Internet Says It's True, a show where we learn something new every week, part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name's Michael Kent. I have been blown away and frankly flattered by all of the new folks listening to this podcast and the fantastic feedback we've been receiving. You can leave reviews at the link in the show notes. Also, we have several new Patreon members that have come on board. Remember, when you join that, you get a welcome kit with stickers and you get access to weekly content that no one else gets to see. Check that out at patreon.com slash michaelkent. This week's story is a strange one. I've been adamant that this isn't going to ever be a true crime podcast, but this week's story is a true crime story. It's a little creepy, a little spooky, which is great considering this episode is originally being released for the week of Halloween. So here it is. This week's topic comes to us from Justin. Hey, Michael. This is Justin. I was just reading about the shark arm case in Australia, and I think it would be a great story for you. Thanks. Well, I just checked out this story, and wow, this one's a doozy. Let's start out by talking about Australia in general and where this took place. It's a place called Coogee Pavilion. Coogee Pavilion is just southeast of downtown Sydney, Australia. Coogee has a beautiful beach, and Coogee Pavilion is now the home of an upscale restaurant. But in the late 19th century, the pavilion was the site of a unique bathhouse, there was a nearby entertainment pier that housed a 1,400 seat theater, a large ballroom for parties, and a penny arcade. The nearby Kuji Pavilion served those guests with both a beautiful indoor bath and aquarium. That's right, bath and aquarium. Guests could bathe in the waters and in the next pool over, watch as sea life swam around. But by 1935, business had slowed. The theater, the ballroom, the arcade had all disappeared with the pier. There weren't enough visitors to keep them in business. The Baths and Aquarium were owned by Bert Hobson, and he had an idea to bring business into his establishment. Bert and his son had caught a huge tiger shark 14 feet long. They'd bring the shark into the aquarium, and it would draw crowds once again to his failing establishment. The plan worked just as he imagined. People from all over came and paid their money to see the giant tiger shark and bathe in the area just next to it. And for a week, his numbers soared. But then came Anzac Day on April 25th. Anzac is sort of a Veterans Day for Australia and New Zealand. And on that day, Coogee Pavilion was packed with onlookers. The shark hadn't adjusted well to captivity. It swam slowly, kept to the bottom, and frequently bumped into the sides of the small 25 by 15 foot pool. Then suddenly in front of dozens of onlookers, the shark started convulsing, shaking and thrashing through the water. Eventually out of its mouth, it released a putrid cloud of muck and foam. The aroma of rot filled the room and guests soon saw that the shark had coughed up a bird, then a rat, then an entire human arm the crowd screamed. Hobson called the police. The crowd immediately thought of the reports over the previous summer of shark attacks. There had been no less than six shark attacks in the newspapers in the past year in Australia. So when they saw the partially digested arm float to the surface with much of its flesh still intact and even a tattoo of two men boxing, they thought they were looking at another shark bite victim. But they weren't. The arm had been neatly severed with a knife. We'll continue this mystery after a word from our sponsors. Every college has that one professor who everyone wants to take a class with before they graduate. I know at Ohio State where I went, there were classes with huge wait lists because the professors were so popular. One Day University brings all those professors together to present incredible live-streamed talks online for thousands of members every day. They've got more than 200 of these top professors from all over the country, from Yale, Harvard, Columbia, UCLA, it's pretty incredible. Every weekday, One Day University offers a new one hour live stream talk followed by a Q&A with the professor. And that's something you don't get in college without having to schedule office hours and it's a whole thing. This is much easier. You can learn something new every time, kind of like you do by listening to this podcast. I just watched a professor from Amherst College give an awesome presentation on the science of happiness that's gonna stick with me. There was also one I watched about what made Frank Sinatra so great from a professor from Johns Hopkins University. But here's the thing. You don't have to get into Johns Hopkins or Harvard or Yale. One-day university membership is just $8.95 a month or $89 a year, and it includes unlimited access to the daily live streams, plus more than 500 past recorded talks. You can try two weeks for free, and because you listen to this podcast— if you use the promo code INTERNET and sign up for an annual plan, you get your first year half off. Can't beat that. Check out One Day University by going to OneDayU.com internet or use the link in the show notes.
0: The camera zooms in on me. So we get some
1: high proof alcohol. We get gasoline. Anything that says... What makes our lives worth living is our mortality. If there were not mortality, we wouldn't be... Luckily for me, most of the beauty pageants that I've um, participated in don't... I've done my fair share of blood, I've always liked showing myself off naked. Got up out of the seat, walked to me, and then slapped me.
0: Spontaneous conversation with people from around the world on Stranger Than Christian, available on your favorite podcast app and at StrangerThanChristian.com.
1: I'm not a guy who wears blazers very often, but I've been wearing my new Scotty Vest sport coat like every day. It has 19 pockets. It makes me feel like 007 when I'm wearing it. The fit is great. The material is durable, and that's not even their most popular item. They have great, useful jackets for traveling, for hiking, and they're all built around having access to the stuff you need without carrying a bag. Tons of useful, functional pockets. I've known and loved this company for years, long before I ever had a podcast. My oldest Scotty Vest jacket is one they don't even make anymore, and it's still in perfect condition after wearing it for years. The best thing you can do is take a look at all the awesome pocket-packed clothing on their website, give them a look at scottyvest.com, and just by listening to this show, you get 15% off your order. Enter the promo code Me, all one word, T-E-L-L-M-E. It's scottyvest.com, promo code TELLME. Now let's get back to the story. The severed arm that the onlookers were shocked to see was taken by the Sydney police. They examined it, and in addition to the way it had been cut off with a knife, and it had a notable tattoo of two men boxing, the police were also able to get a full set of fingerprints. But the fingerprints weren't needed for identification. When a man named Edwin Smith read about the tattooed arm in the newspaper, he knew exactly who it belonged to. His brother Jimmy, a one-time boxer, had been missing for several weeks. Jimmy Smith had that tattoo on his left arm. Who was Jimmy Smith? He had been born in England, but lived in Gladesdale on the northwest side of Sydney. He was 45, and while he showed promise as an amateur boxer, that never panned out for him. He ran a local pool hall. Pool meaning billiards, by the way, not meaning pools with people or sharks, for that matter. He managed the pool hall and didn't come by his money exactly legally. He was a known criminal and had ties to a local bigwig of organized crime, Reginald Holmes. Jimmy did odd jobs for Reginald Holmes. Holmes's official career was as a boat builder, but that was just his official income. If something underhanded needed to be done, Jimmy was a low totem pole guy and could get it done for Reginald. He'd help Holmes transport cocaine through the harbor or help him carry out insurance fraud schemes. One of these schemes was the planned sinking of a huge yacht, the Pathfinder. Smith was supposed to sink the yacht and Holmes would collect the insurance money. The plan worked fine until Smith told the police that the sinking was suspicious. That's right, in addition to being a boxer, a pool hall manager, and a criminal, Jimmy was a rat. Holmes never got his insurance payout for the yacht and held it over Jimmy's head forever, especially because Smith started blackmailing Holmes. Jimmy had become an informant for the police and was skating on thin ice with his crime buddies. One of these buddies was another one of Reginald Holmes' toadies named Patrick Brady. Brady was a rough-looking middle-aged guy. He looked like your typical 1930s gangster with a sloped fedora. On the evening of April 7, 1935, Patrick took Jimmy Smith out drinking and gambling. These two were seen playing cards at the Cecil Hotel. Not that Cecil Hotel. This was the Cecil Hotel in Crenola, a southern suburb of Sydney. This card game continued through the night until the two decided to hang out at Brady's cottage just down the road. We know Brady was there because a cab driver later claimed he drove Brady from that cottage to the house of none other than Reginald Holmes. The cab driver said he acted strange, he looked frightened, and was hiding something under his jacket. If we fast forward to after the arm was discovered, we now know that the police know who the arm belonged to. They know that the person that was last seen with Jimmy Smith was Patrick Brady, and we know that a cab driver put a nervous Brady at Holmes's house later that night. But all they had was an arm, no body, therefore, no murder charge. Instead, They picked him up for something else that Brady was good at, forgery. After six hours of intense interrogation about the death of Jimmy Smith, Patrick Brady finally confessed that Holmes was behind the whole thing. Holmes, of course, denied it all, but then he soon fled to the sea in one of his speedboats with a bottle of liquor and a pistol. It turned into a high-speed chase on the water. Holmes got drunk and shot himself in the head. Because this isn't a normal story, it gets weirder. Holmes shot himself in the head and fell into the water, but the bullet bounced off his skull and he didn't die. He climbed back in the boat and continued the police chase for two more hours before finally surrendering. When Holmes told police his version of the story, it went like this. Patrick Brady came to him that night panicked. He had killed Jimmy Smith and cut up the body, tossing the body parts in the bay. He kept the arm with the tattoo to bring to Holmes' house to threaten him. Of course, in Holmes' story, Brady acted alone. Holmes claimed Brady left the arm with him, so he then took it to the bay and tossed it in. He agreed to testify to all of this in court, which was set up to happen that June. But the morning of the court case, Holmes didn't show up. He was found dead in his car with three gunshot wounds to his chest. It was one last insurance fraud scheme. He had taken out a huge policy on his life that wouldn't pay out anything to his family if he died by suicide, so he had hired a hitman to kill him. The trial went on, but there was now no key witness to the murder and no body except for an arm. Patrick Brady was acquitted. No one ever paid for the death of Jimmy Smith. Justice was never done. The case went down in history as one of Australia's most famous and strangest murder trials. But this whole story would have never taken place if that tattooed left arm was never thrown in the ocean and swallowed whole by a 14-foot tiger shark. Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling Ama Marfo, Ama is a prolific writer and professional speaker on group dynamics, leadership, and creativity, and a stand-up comedian. I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast, Ama.
0: It is always a pleasure to get to chat with you. So I'm excited
1: to do this. And learn some weird trivia.
0: I love trivia. So weird trivia is always especially good because it comes in handy for regular trivia.
1: It does. And just to talk about at parties. You know, last time you were on, we talked about trees on buildings. Uh, the time before that, we talked about the Boston molasses flood. the flood. Of we the did, molasses. and they,
0: they love talking about that here, so I was happy <laughs> to get to do it.
1: That's good. For this first question, we're playing for a joke. So if you get it right, I have to tell a joke. If you get it wrong, you'll tell me one. Okay. It, it can be a joke book joke. I don't care what kind of joke it is. In 1935, a shark was put on display in a Sydney aquarium. In front of a crowd of onlookers, It vomited up a human arm. Why was that arm notable? A, the arm was covered in feathers. B, the arm had been neatly severed with a knife and led to a murder trial. Or C, the arm had no bones. Oh, wow. I get the sense it would
0: be hard to tell if an arm had bones floating in water. So I'm going to eliminate C because... That would require more investigation that is elegant for this conversation.
1: So you're saying it was a it was a bones day for that arm, not a no bones day.
0: Yes, I believe it was a bones day. Okay. Um, I'm going to say B. That arm ended up being notorious for multiple reasons.
1: You are correct. It is B. The arm had been neatly severed with a knife and it led to a murder trial. Uh, The arm had a tattoo that they recognized and it was a whole organized crime murder mystery trial that that went on no one was ever found guilty for it no one ever served time for it
0: and my mom kept saying there's no point to tattoos sometimes there is a point to tattoos
1: that's right that's a horrible reason to get a tattoo but hey you know
0: sometimes you're 19 and you have to make a case so uh
1: the the third answer that i had on there the arm had no bones was strictly an homage to the adorable pug on tiktok This man, if you're not familiar, has a 13-year-old pug every day. He makes a video to see if the pug has bones or no bones. He lifts the pug up, and if it uh, can stand on its own, it's a bones day, and you should go about your day with purpose and excitement. And if it's a no bones day, then you just sort of relax and give yourself a mental health day and and chill out.
0: And I just learned the other day that the... Dog father, the father of that dog, the owner of that dog, uh, went to Emerson College here in Boston. So I consider that dog to be a proud Bostonian and probably one of my favorite famous Bostonians. (laughs) Even Ben Affleck.
1: I am um, slow today, (laughs) Amma, and our listeners may may hear. I am just. uh, I've done six shows in the last week. I just got back home, uh, maybe an hour before. Uh, we're talking now, and uh, but I, I owe you a joke, so why do flamingos stand on one leg?
0: Oh, why do flamingos stand on one leg?
1: If they lifted up the other one, they'd fall over.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that. And look at you, <laughs> refusing to have a no-bones day. You're like, no, we're putting bones in this day. We're getting things
1: done. <laughs> I am pushing forward. Question two for this question... We're playing for the rights to claim ownership of the podcast for one week. This doesn't come with any payment or sponsorship, just ownership of The Internet Says It's True for a week. Okay. In the 1920s and 30s, it was common for mobsters in Sydney, Australia, to dismember their victims and throw them in Gunamata Bay. Gunamata Bay? Gunamata, Gunamata, we'll say. Gunamata Bay. Which one of these colloquialisms did they use to describe that act? A the sydney sendoff b the Gunamata good day or c the aussie later
0: i mean i like the absolute silliness of b and c and i really like applying that silliness to mobsters but i think <laughs> a is the most likely because b and c feel a little bit too loose for the population using the terminology
1: <laughs> you are correct Uh, B and C are not only a little too silly for mobsters, but probably also a little bit too smart. Uh, There's too much alliteration. The Sydney send-off is easy. The I see you later is giving them too much credit.
0: I do like that one. (laughs) Next time I go to Australia, I'll try to throw that in there at some point. I'll
1: probably get groans, but... So you have ownership of the podcast. This is the Amamarfo Presents The Internet Says It's True for a week.
0: I love it. Yeah. I can't wait to tell everybody. This absolutely. week, I have a podcast.
1: This week, absolutely. Ownership. No payment, no sponsorship. Sorry about that part. But everything else.
0: The pride is enough.
1: Absolutely. Question three. For this question, we're playing for the coveted. The internet says it's true. Sticker. Um, bum, bum, bum. I have, I have a pack of these I need to send out. We've got some new Patreon people. So I'm going to send them out some stickers uh, now that I'm home. Here's your question. How many total recorded shark attacks have there been in Australia? Total. Like, so this is all the way back to when they started keeping track. A, 1,068. B, 522. Or C, 8,020. So
0: this goes back to the beginning of recording, not to the invention of sharks.
1: (laughs) That's that's right, yes. Okay. This goes back because you know, they could ask the the shark record keeper, but the shark historian lacks a communicative device to interface with humans. So therefore fingers to count. Or fingers to count. Maybe gills you could count on, but but this is this is back to the recording of when they started keeping track. Which I believe was somewhere like sixteenth century.
0: Okay. I'm going to guess A. One thousand sixty eight.
1: What? How did you get that? Yes, I thought that one was going to stump you. <laughs> I thought that for sure when you hear Australia, you think sharks and you go 8,020. I just put a huge high number as that one, but not that many. There's only been 1,068 recorded. Just can you take a guess? What's the country with the most shark attacks?
0: Hmm. Um.
1: This doesn't count. This is bonus. Okay. I'll send you two stickers if you get this one.
0: Okay. Okay. I do need two stickers because I'm always very reluctant to stick one. But if I have a backup, I'll feel better about that. I so know what you're saying. I have
1: that same thing. I, I need more water bottles because I don't like the idea of sticking a sticker to the water bottle and therefore not having the sticker to stick on things anymore.
0: Exactly. So yeah. you need a stick sticker and a backup sticker.
1: Yeah, a backup back sticker just in case I'm going to need it. This, I think we are sticker hoarders. I think we're both hoarders. It's-
0: Michael, it's a real problem, and yeah. I have so many that I just can't put anywhere. I'm not stalling. Okay. Uh, <laughs> most recorded charge hmm,
1: uh-huh. Brazil. The answer, believe it or not, is the United States.
0: You know, that my first instinct was the United States because it feels like something that we would record, likely strictly for fear-mongering purposes, but I also wanted to think about where also there is a lot of water that might also have other possibilities. So,
1: yeah, it's it's I feel right. It's apparently due to the sheer amount of people swimming in the ocean in the US as compared to other countries. Um, you know, we have both coasts have shark infested waters. Both coasts people go swimming there a lot. There are 1500 shark attacks on record in the US. Just over 1500.
0: Which still Going back to either beginning of recording or beginning of sharks is still not that many.
1: Not really. Yeah. I mean, you would think it was a bigger problem. It's kind of like quicksand. Like we thought that quicksand was going to be a much bigger problem in our lives. Judging from childhood cartoons.
0: They really oversold the threat. I've never come across it. And I am thirties ish.
1: Do you want never to hear something ridiculous? I am. I'm 42. I never had a problem with going in the ocean. Except for the last like three years, three or four years. Now I'm scared of sharks in the ocean, and there's no rational reason why. Like, there's an occasional shark attack here or there, but I don't know why. I all the it's, it's, is it, what's it called? Thalassophobia or whatever, when you're scared of the deep ocean. I'm not scared of the depths as much as the fact that I can't see under the water, and it uh-huh. just weirds me out now, and it never did before. I never cared before. Now I do.
0: So, and I'm not going to say was it Jaws because Jaws has been around far longer than that. Is it like maybe like a Finding Nemo situation where you're like, man, there's a lot going on down there. What am I
1: going to run into? I don't think that is what it is. I'm really not sure. One of the things is there's this viral video, and it's a faked video, mind you, of a cliff diver that dives into the, the water with a GoPro. And in the footage, when you look at it later, you see this great white shark sort of swim right by the man as he's swimming and it's been come out it's come out that it's fake it's been you know debunked but still that idea that it could be there could be a big bull shark or tiger shark right there and i would never know it freaks me out
0: yeah it's like that particular instance might not have been true but the possibility of an event like that is not impossible
1: yeah that's so it
0: planted a seed i think
1: Yeah, it's crazy because, like, it makes me wish I would have spent more time in the ocean when I lived with more reckless abandon in my youth.
0: Yeah, we know too much now. And (laughs) the the whimsy of it is gone.
1: Let's move on to question four. For this question, we're playing for an Australian accent. So if you get it right, I'll do my best Australian accent. If you get it wrong, you'll do yours. And the phrase that we'll say is, it's a shark. Oh, no. That's the phrase. Okay. We learned in this week's story that the victim whose arm was found was an informer for the police. Complete the lyric of the 1992 song by one hit wonder Snow. The song is called Informer. I'll start. Informer, you know, say daddy me snow, me I go blame. And let's, let's sing it the way it should be sung. Informer, you know, say daddy me snow, me I go blame. A. Tell him my name, B, that ain't my game, or C, a licky boom boom down.
0: C, because there's no way there are actual words to that part. I refuse to believe it. I think it is C. If it is words, I will be genuinely surprised.
1: Let's listen. There it is, a licky boom boom down which apparently is a reference to taking down his enemies. I guess that's what it is. That's Okay. It
0: sounds pretty whimsical for that.
1: It is. A licky boom boom down. Yeah. According to Snow, who is an Irish dude named Darren Kenneth O'Brien, it refers to gunning down someone who was an informant for the police.
0: But it's such a playful way of saying it. See, that then kind of brings me back to the other thing where it's like mobsters aren't playful. When Snow sings about them, they are.
1: Yeah. I mean, by the time you're saying a licky boom, boom down, you might as well be cutting them up and doing an old ah, see later.
0: Exactly. They're basically the same thing.
1: All right. So you got that one right, which means I have to do my best Australian accent saying the phrase, it's a shark. Oh, no. Let me get into Australian. We get ready to hear it. It's a shark. Arnar. Not good, right? bad.
0: I give it a B plus.
1: How about? There's an arm in the shark. Arnar
0: <laughs> I don't know where that's from. We've deviated from Australia into something a little bit different.
1: <laughs> maybe. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I do not do impressions or accents very well. <laughs> I'm good at speaking English and that's about it. That's about it. I can That's speak all you need most days. I recently did a TikTok video um, impersonating the Haunted Mansion voice. And in Ugh. my head, it sounds perfect. But when you watch the TikTok video, I'm like, oh, it's cringy. But that's okay. I love the Haunted
0: Mansion. So I'm going to go back and look for that.
1: When hinges creak in doorless chambers. It's the whole thing with the background music and all that stuff. But my voice just isn't quite low enough for it. So it's close. But it doesn't matter because for some reason... Uh, Disney adults be crazy on TikTok. I don't understand what it is, but I will do the most amazing magic trick on TikTok and it'll get 200 views. And then I'll do a Disney voiceover and it'll be like 50,000.
0: It's the power of nostalgia. You're tapping into something like very specific, which I think hits a
1: different part of the brain than
0: like impressed or confused.
1: Question five is for all the marbles. If you get this wrong, I'm banning you from the show never to be asked on again. What gives you hope for the future?
0: Hmm. So a couple weeks ago, the second season of the Babysitter's Club show premiered on Netflix. It is something that I love a great deal, loved when I was a kid, and have really liked watching with my friends. And we'd had some conversations about, is it something that kids would watch, or is it just something that's kind of like made for those of us in our 30s that loved it growing up? And a friend of mine came upon some of her former neighbors who were like 11, 12, 13 and told them that she had been watching it. And they got really excited. And that made me happy because I think we're just kind of made to think that teens now are basically just slightly smaller grownups with less responsibilities and they don't care about things that we find really wholesome. So to know that there are some things that kids in a lot of ways are still just kids, that gave me hope.
1: That's awesome. I will count that as a right answer.
0: Congratulations! Uh,
1: Babysitters Club. I've been rewatching Seinfeld, which Ooh. was um, big when I was in college. That was like a, my friends and I all bonded over watching Seinfeld. And that was that time when, you know, Seinfeld had already hit its stride and was in full popularity at that point. But back to nostalgia, Hasbro put all of the old original G.I. Joe cartoons on YouTube, on their YouTube account. They did? Yes. Yeah, so you can watch like the, 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 and they don't really hold up as well as Seinfeld. Seinfeld really holds up. GI <laughs> Joe, it's a little rough. But you can go and watch the original GI Joe cartoons on on. So I I get you on that one. You can right. follow Ama online at, at amamarfo and you can book her to speak at your group. It's amamarfo.com. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to talk about? I do have a couple of Zoom comedy
0: shows. On Tuesday, the 26th at 7.30, I have one through a New York group called Glass Houses Comedy. And on Sunday, on Halloween, early evening, I have a show that's part of a larger benefit for, it's called Laughing for Liberation, and it benefits showing up for Rachel Justice. So both of those details will be on my website as well.
1: Thanks. You can find that once again. It's amamarfo.com, A-M-M-A-M-A-R-F-O.com. Thank you so much for being here.
0: My pleasure.
1: Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to Justin for the topic and to Amamarfo for being my guest. Here's a little kid I pulled out of a shark's mouth to record the following.
0: Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. Don't forget to join up on Patreon if you want to see the unedited video of the guest appearance or to hear bonus episodes. You can do that at patreon.com slash Kent. Also, if you learned something that you didn't already know from the show, please visit iTunes and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That's the rule. You gotta do it. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works, to get the podcast suggested to more people. And that way we can keep learning something new, if the internet says it's true.
1: The internet says it's true, we'd like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help make this show possible. Sean Brown, Catherine Morgan, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Matt McVeigh, Jim Martin, Joanne Martin, and the show's official Brewer Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and additional music this week was from Doug Maxwell, Aaron Kinney, and Kevin McLeod. All audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17, USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at Patreon.com slash Kent.